A family court judge in the Bronx is under fire for allegedly attempting to have a menage a trois with a mother whose case she's adjudicating. According to screenshots provided by Sydney Sutherland, the mother in question, Judge Cynthia Lopez pinged her on an app called 3Fun, on which the judge describes herself as bisexual with a partner named Ant. Apparently, the judge and her paramour, quote, love thick girls just as much as they love petite girls, though, quote, at the end of the day, it's all about personality. Still, she prefers guys to, quote, be stocky, and I will leave her other anatomical preferences to the imagination. The mother, purportedly propositioned by the judge in her own case, responded, quote, B-I-T-C-H, you know who the F I am, at which point the judge reportedly blocked her on the app. And the mother has a long list of run-ins with the law and reportedly claims to have been married nine times, but that doesn't excuse the judge, who has since recused herself from the case, lending some credibility to the allegations. So the mother seems nuts, but the mother isn't a member of the New York Bar. She isn't a judge. Bad enough for the mother to be on the creepy threesome app, but a judge? I don't even care, really, that the judge asked the mother out. That's secondary. If the allegations are true, the judge should be disbarred just for being on the app. That's why the Bar Association has a good moral character requirement to practice law, certainly to act as a judge. The problem is, what was once universally understood to be creepy degeneracy is now considered by our political elite to be some sort of human right. If the judge were disbarred for her side hustle soliciting threesomes, she could probably sue the Bar Association for discrimination against the LGBT orgy community. If the judge in the case, in that case, were anything like her, she would win. Because the law is only as just as the people who practice it. And that's why today, our temples of justice more closely resemble brothels. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Welcome back to the show. President Trump is comparing himself to Elvis. We'll get to that very important news story in a second. First, though, a much more important news story, a long-awaited news story, months in the making. Mayflower Cigars, baby, are not quite back in stock, but they are available for pre-order. You know, we launched Mayflower Cigars, well, what is it now, four months ago or something? And well, I guess it is almost exactly four months because we sold out of four months of stock in 24 hours. And this shocked the cigar industry. We're working with very prominent production and distribution partners in the cigar industry. They were completely blown away. Even by our aggressive production plan, it, it sold out instantly. We got a few little dribbles of orders that came in in the meantime. Those also sold out instantly. Uh, so we now have, I think every single Mayflower product is available for pre-order. The order that we put in was absolutely huge. I guess this is probably the biggest cigar launch ever in the history of tobacco, which is really great. Thank you to all who have tried them out so far. I know there are many, many of you who have written me very angry emails because you were not able to get your hands on any Mayflower product. They are available now at mayflowercigars.com. You have to be 21 years old or older to purchase. Some exclusions apply. It's a pre-order. It's supposed to ship by late March if you want to try these. 
if you want to try these to celebrate my birthday next month, if you want to try these to celebrate Father's Day, if you want to try these for the 4th of July, I would strongly recommend that you put your pre-order in now. I can't guarantee when the next batch drops. You know we can't rush the production process. It takes months to age these things. So if you want it, I don't want to hear the angry emails in two weeks or three weeks because you missed your chance to order them. This is your chance. Go to MayflowerCigars.com. If you want them at your local brick and mortar, go to the brick and mortar store. Tell them to go to MayflowerCigars.com. They can put in a request there. I've told you, don't say I didn't tell you so in a couple of weeks. And I hope you enjoy the cigars. Let me know what you think of them. Okay. Now, speaking of good news, we return to the topic of the law and weird sex stuff, but we've got some good news on that front via the New York Times. Whoever thought I would say that? New York Times op-ed came out just a couple of days ago. As kids, they thought they were trans. They no longer do. Op-ed in the New York Times suggesting that perhaps we ought to cool it on transing the kids. Quote, at no point during her medical transition, Powell says, they profile some kids who got transed as kids and then regretted it. At no point during her medical or surgical transition did anyone ask her about the reasons behind her gender dysphoria or her depression. At no point was she asked about her sexual orientation. At no point was she asked about any previous trauma, and so neither the therapists nor the doctors ever learned that she'd been sexually abused as a child. I wish there had been more open conversations, Powell, now 23 and detransitioned, told me, but I was told there is one cure and one thing to do if this is your problem, and this will help you. Then the Times goes on. Right-wing demagogues are not the only ones who have inflamed this debate. Transgender activists have pushed their own ideological extremism, especially by pressing for a treatment orthodoxy that has faced increased scrutiny in recent years. Gee, if only someone had told us so. If only someone like perhaps those right-wing demagogues, who are they talking about there? Something something tells me uh, yours truly might be included in that group. Uh, If only someone had told the New York Times, right? Except we all did. And what happened when we did? When, When... Some of us suggested that uh, the transgender identity had much deeper psychological and philosophical problems and that a man can't actually become a woman and therefore this pernicious ideology that harms everyone it touches ought to be eradicated from public life entirely for the good of society and especially for the good of the poor people who have fallen prey to this confusion. Some of us were accused of genocide by the White House. Do you remember that? You remember when Joe Biden's spokesman, Corrine Jean-Pierre, accused me of all sorts of nasty things from the White House podium? Do you remember when we were banned from YouTube for, I think it was a week or more? Do you remember when all the big prominent libs in the country accused us of all sorts of nasty things? Now it turns out, hate to say I told you, so the New York Times agrees with us because it was obviously true. So what accounts for the shift? Did they finally just come around to watching Matt's movie and it persuaded them? Did they finally listen to my CPAC speech and it persuaded them? No. Emily Zanotti, my friend Emily Zanotti, uh, who you might remember from from Daily Wire fame, uh, she had a really incisive tweet on this, which is, I think it was Emily, who said, it was all about the trial lawyers, which some, some predicted early on too, that the way that this hideous, science experiment that we, that has been performed on poor, vulnerable little kids would come to an end is when the lawyers got involved, when the kids grew up, 
when they inevitably came to regret this, when they started suing their medical providers and their parents and their teachers and their school counselors, and when cold, hard cash entered into the picture, that's when this would stop. And we have now, unfortunately, allowed this ideology to go on long enough that people are beginning to get litigious. The the kids who were exploited are suing, and all of a sudden— People are urging a little bit of caution. If only we had urged some caution earlier, we might have been able to save a generation of kids from mutilating themselves, castrating themselves, giving them bone diseases, and giving them themselves early death. Unfortunately, we missed out on many years to do that, but it's never too late. Time to stop now. You got me, Matt Walsh, the New York Times, J.K. Rowling. <laughs> you got a really broad cross-section of people all pointing out that this is barbaric, and obviously evil, so just cut it out. And if you don't want to listen to all of us, listen to the trial lawyers who are going to take you people to the cleaners if you keep pushing this stuff. At the very least, they should be taken to the cleaners and bankrupted. Frankly, they should be prosecuted and thrown into jail, at which point we can throw away the key. Now, speaking of LGBT activism, uh, some really good news from someone who's a little bit on the right, but he's a, he's a libertarian, so he's kind of on the left and he's kind of on the right. But I like the guy, Brad Palumbo. Uh, Brad Palumbo has a really great article out that you should check out. Uh, if you're not familiar with Brad's work, Brad pinch hit when I was supposed to date that trans-identifying professor at the University of Pittsburgh. And uh, then Antifa showed up and threw an explosive at the building. And the trans professor pulled out long before that because she didn't, she, he didn't want to debate me. And Brad Pinch hit, which was really great of him. Anyway, he's got a great piece. Uh, Brad is obviously very sympathetic toward a lot of LGBT activism. But he's got a great piece that just came out called No, There's No Epidemic of Transgender Violence. Highly recommend you check it out. The Human Rights Campaign, which is this group that, that made its symbol the equals sign. They were, they were advocating very strongly for redefining marriage to include same-sex unions. And then the moment the Supreme Court gave it to them, they instantly pivoted and became the pro-trans group because they had achieved their goal and they didn't want the money to run out. So then they quickly became a pro-trans group. Anyway, they, they had this uh, big report on the epidemic of tra- anti-transgender violence and it was promoted everywhere by the left-wing propaganda news. ABC News ran headlines about it. The USA Today, The Hill, NBC, all of them. They got this, this stupid report in everywhere. Well, anyway, Brad analyzed the report, and he found out it's totally fake. Uh, according to, to the report, the authors have identified a grand total of 33 transgender or gender nonconforming Americans who were killed over the one-year time period ending on November 20th, 2023, which the activists call the Transgender Day of Remembrance. Because, you see, there, there's this epidemic of slaughter of the, of the transgender people. But it turns out it's not true. By the way, that 33 people, as Brad points out, were not killed because they were transgender. They, just, they were just killed, and they happened to identify as transgender. Which means, to quote Mr. Palumbo, if that number, 33 deaths in a nation of about 330 million people, strikes you as low by the standards of most epidemics, your impression would be correct. HRC's own data suggests that far from being victimized by an epidemic of murderous violence, transgender Americans are less likely to be killed than members of the population at large, of course. Of course, when you dig into, by the way, the trans-identifying people who are killed, where the where the killing did have something to do with their identity, often it's because they're they're committing other crimes and they're in even more dangerous positions: prostitution, drugs, and the rest of it. Everything 
everything you have been told about transgenderism is a lie. Everything you have been told by the supposedly credible authorities is a lie. There is no epidemic of violence against the so-called transgender people. No one is attempting to commit a genocide against them. Uh, the puberty blockers have very terrible effects for kids. These, these so-called treatments are not, in fact, reversible in a lot of cases. The data do not show that these kinds of treatments, hormonal and surgical, help uh, trans-identifying people to overcome anxiety, depression, and suicidality. In fact, in the case of anxiety, the largest data set we have on this, which comes out of Great Britain, shows that these so-called gender-affirming surgeries and procedures actually make the problem worse, right down to the central fact of transgenderism. Transgenderism, the ideology states that a man can become a woman. That is not possible. That will never happen. You can wish it so. You can have a bunch of scientists in a laboratory trying to concoct some magical potion. It'll never happen. The whole thing is a lie. It should be, any of the propaganda pushed out by the pro-trans outlets should be disregarded. It should be banned from classrooms. It should be taken out of the news media because it's so dishonest. And the ideology, might, it might have taken us a year. We're coming up on my next CPAC speech. My last CPAC speech was almost exactly a year ago and I was maligned and vilified for it, for saying something that now everybody would appear to believe or would be approaching uh, appearing to believe is true. It's an awful ideology, terrible for everyone. It should be totally eradicated from public life. Now, we got to talk about things like that. When you want to talk, you got to check out Pure Talk. Right now, go to puretalk.com slash Knowles. Pure Talk is making it easier and more affordable to connect with the people you love by giving you the same coverage you know and love for half the price. With unlimited plans starting at just 20 bucks a month, the average family saves almost $1,000 a year. Pure Talk is helping you beat inflation and stay connected to your loved ones. A veteran-owned company, Pure Talk raised $10 million toward veterans' debt last year alone. What's more, Pure Talk's customer service team is located here in the U.S. and can help you make the switch in as little as 10 minutes. I love Pure Talk. I've got Pure Talk service. It is the best wireless network in the country, and you can take it overseas if you happen to be traveling internationally. It's just phenomenal. Uh, the customer service is great. It's very, very easy to switch. I strongly recommend you to go check out Pure Talk today in no small part because they support you and me and what we believe in. Go to puretalk.com slash Knowles to make the switch. Right now, our viewers will save an additional 50% off your first month. puretalk.com slash Knowles today. Speaking of grievance and hustling, there's a racial justice advocate who has gone viral, thanks to our friend over there at Libs of TikTok. She's gone viral for explaining to her audience why showing up on time is white supremacy. As a racial justice advocate, I'm often invited to give talks or to do workshops where I talk to white people about race. A big part of my practice is to offer real life stories, examples, that type of thing that help white people to be able to identify white supremacy in everyday life. My husband's family is white and I often use the cultural differences between my family and his family as a way to help white people see their whiteness. There's one example that I use that always gets a ton of pushback. My husband and I were late to our first Thanksgiving with his family. I say late because it started at 12. We got there at 1210. But whenever we got there at 1210, everybody was already sat down and eating. I didn't know that. I use this illustration to point out that different cultures have different understandings of time, lateness, and what it means to be polite. Without fail, a white person will push back and say that lateness is impolite. I always use this as a teachable moment. I usually ask a series of pointed questions that challenge their assumptions. 
Sometimes it takes a lot of work. But by the end, they're able to identify how white cultural dominance works in this one small area of life, which opens the door for them to start peeling the onion. Okay, we've all seen this video a million times. Not this exact video, but versions of this video with versions of this woman. So what's it about? Why? Why are people being so mean to the white people? Why is so now you're saying that just showing up on time is white supremacy? Why? Why is this woman doing this? You know why this woman's doing this? Because her white audience wants her to. That's why. <laughs> really, we cannot blame the black people, even the BLM activists for this. They are giving their audience what they want. Who is this woman's audience? This woman's audience is liberal white people. Her job is to go to liberal white people and make them feel guilty, and then they pay her money for that. It's, it's like uh, a dominatrix who has a bunch of weirdo clients who want her to beat, beat them up or so whip them with chains or something. That's what this is. And she gives the audience what they want. The customer is always right. This woman obviously doesn't hate white people because this woman's husband is white, or at the very least, the, hu- the woman's husband was adopted by a white family, right? She says, my husband's family is white, which means either he's white or he's adopted and he's, and he's culturally white. Either way, though, she's got a lot of familiarity with, with white culture and white people, and she involves herself in them. She probably spends most of her time with white people because the people she works with are white and the people that she has her romantic life with are broadly white. So it's not that she hates them. She, she's mow-mowing the flat catchers because they're asking her to. That's what this is really about. Th- this is about a masochistic perversion. And, you know, we, we talk a, a lot about perversions in our culture because we live in a very perverted and decadent time. But this is just another example of it. This is just another example of people de- desiring something that is harmful to them, ultimately bad for them, but they want it anyway. Just like someone who's a bit fat wants more candy bars than, than he ought to have. Just like uh, someone who is sexually decadent wants all sorts of uh, sterile and hedonistic sexual <laughs> uh, activities. Uh, so too with the racial grievance. This, this is entirely about masochistic white people. If the white people stopped being masochistic, if the white liberals stopped feeling guilty for the color of their skin, this whole industry would disappear overnight. All of the BLM stuff, all the George, it would disappear overnight. But it's still here because the audience wants it. Okay, so we focused on the really important news stories. The fact that Mayflower cigars are back in stock, the racial grievance lady, some weird transgender stuff. Now let's focus on a much less newsworthy news item. Uh, The United States is bombing Iraq and Syria. I almost didn't even include it in the show because it's like a day that ends in why. Of course, yeah, we're bombing. Of course, we're bombing Iraq and Syria. Every every U.S. president has to bomb Iraq and Syria. For my entire life, every single U.S. president has bombed Iraq or Syria. They've they've all bombed Iraq, with uh, maybe the exception of Trump. I know Trump bombed Syria. I don't. I guess he probably bombed Iraq right when he was wiping out ISIS. They all, George H.W. Bush, Clinton, Bush II, Obama, Trump, Biden. So, okay, we're bombing Iraq and Syria. Why are we bombing Iraq and Syria? Because we want to hit Iran. But we don't really want to hit Iran, but we kind of want to hit Iran. So th- this is according to CENTCOM. 
the U.S. Central Command. At 4 p.m. Eastern, February 2nd, U.S. Central Command forces conducted airstrikes in Iraq and Syria against Iran's Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps, Quds Force, and affiliated militia groups. U.S. military forces struck more than 85 targets with numerous aircraft to include long-range bombers flown from the U.S. We deployed more than 125 precision munitions. The facilities that were struck included command and control ops, centers, uh, intel centers, rockets, missiles, unmanned aerial vehicle storages. The list goes on and on. Okay. I guess that's fine because Iran's proxies attacked a U.S. base and killed three U.S. troops and injured many more. And we know that Iran-backed terrorists have been targeting U.S. ships and trying to shut down trade. So we're going to strike them back. Okay, I I really don't want to go to war with Iran, but in principle, I understand the notion of of retaliating here or establishing deterrence. The problem is this, this doesn't do that. We told Iran we were going to do this ahead of time. We said, yeah, we don't really want to kill any of your guys. We just, we just want to, you know, take out some of the munitions. We need to retaliate somehow. You know, it's, look, we'll start giving you pallets of cash again soon, but we're looking pretty bad here and it's an election year. So can you just, is it cool? It's going to be this time and here. So make sure you evacuate and get all your stuff that you need to pack up. You know, we'll give you a few days and then we're going to hit it. Is that okay? Ayatollah, is that fine? It's just so pathetic because it's the worst possible strategy. Trump was basically a dove, except when he would just blow things up randomly. Trump did not want war. He was very reluctant to use military force. And then he would take out Iran's top general. And everyone would just be on edge. All of our enemies would just think, you know, I'm gonna hold off for a little bit. Even Putin. Putin probably figured there was a 95% chance Trump would not do anything. But Trump reportedly told Putin, hey, look, if you further invade Ukraine, I'm going to blow up Moscow. And I'm sure Putin was thinking, oh, he's probably bluffing. He probably, won't. But 5% chance, do you really want to take it? No. The Trump policy was largely the Reagan policy, which was try not to get involved too much overseas, try not to use military force, but have a, a, a credible deterrence. In other words, speak softly and carry a big stick. In other words, be peaceful, but have a credible threat of violence. And what Biden has done here is exactly the opposite. It's both weak and belligerent somehow. <laughs> it's, just, it's just so perfectly wrong. It will not achieve its objectives. And if anything, it will probably just escalate the chance for more war. Maybe that's what the Democrats want. Who knows? You know what I want? Good ranchers. Right now, go to goodranchers.com. Use code Knowles. February is the month of love. And everybody loves free bacon. When you subscribe to any of Good Ranchers 100% American meat boxes, they will add one and a half pounds of applewood smoked bacon to your order for free for a year. Good Ranchers sources all of their meat from local farms and ranches in the U.S., meaning you can trust every bite. But it's not just about taste. It's about the experiences and memories associated with it. Whether it's the mouth-watering smell in the kitchen on a Sunday evening or the joy of sharing a plate of bacon-wrapped appetizers with friends, Good Ranchers has a way of creating moments that linger in people's hearts and taste buds. Uh, You know I, I love Good Ranchers. I love it. It's my favorite meat that I get. I was gone last week. I was in LA, and it was a fine trip. But the thing that I really missed, my wife and kids, but also Good Ranchers. Fall in love with beef, chicken, seafood, especially bacon, all over again by subscribing at GoodRanchers.com. 
Claim 240 bucks in free bacon with my code Knowles. This offer is not available on their site. It's an exclusive offer to our listeners. I don't know how they offer this quality for this price. It doesn't make any financial sense to me, but it is just the greatest. Make use of it while you can. Goodranchers.com. Code Knowles for the best bacon in the USA. Goodranchers.com. American meat delivered. Valentine's Day is coming up fast. And whether you're shopping for him or her, Jeremy's is the perfect gift to surprise your better half. From delicious chocolate, to smooth razors, to the iconic Leftist Ears Tumbler. And to celebrate, Jeremy's is offering a 20% discount on all Valentine's Day bundles. That's right, 20% off. But you have to act fast because today is the last day for shipping on time for Valentine's arrival. This offer is only here for a limited time. Go to jeremysrazors.com right now. Order your Valentine's Day bundle before it's gone. Jeremy's Valentine's Day sale, the best way to treat your Valentine and to treat yourself. Speaking of the Biden foreign policy, it would appear to be going from bad to worse. Uh, Biden's national security advisor, Jake Sullivan, has now outlined the Biden administration plan for long-term peace in the Middle East. What is the end game here? Do you see any prospect at all? He seems to have been ruling it out, Prime Minister Netanyahu, of some kind of a long-term deal that leads to a Palestinian state. Well, the U.S. position on this is very straightforward. The only long-term answer to peace in the region, to Israel's security in the region, uh, is a two-state solution with Israel's security guaranteed, a Palestinian state that also has uh, security guarantees for Israel. That's what we're going to keep working for. We were doing that before October 7th. I think since October 7th, the need to work on that uh, has only increased, and we would like to deliver an outcome over time that has eluded administrations of both parties for decades Uh, that is in the best interest, we believe, of everyone in the region and in the wider world. What is this guy talking about? I I know he's saying a lot of words, and they're the same kind of words that you read in the New York Times and that you hear in NPR and that I guess that you hear on ABC News, but what does this mean? Well, obviously, the long-term solution for peace in the Middle East is a two-state solution in Israel-Palestine. Yeah, how? How? How do you think that's going to work? Palestine the Palestinian people, for whom I have great sympathy, they feel like they're up against a wall, and so they elected a cartoonishly evil terrorist group to be its government, and the terrorist group in its charter says that we're we're going to destroy the state of Israel. There will be no state of Israel. So that's the Palestinian position. Now, the Israeli position is that these people elected Hamas and And they want to destroy the state of Israel, and they're going to keep attacking us and doing pogroms and things like that. So uh, we want Gaza, and frankly, we want the West Bank too. That's the Israeli position. They want the whole area. Both groups want the whole area, (laughs) okay? And neither side is willing to concede anything, and neither side believes that any concession at all will help them. It will only hurt them because the the long-term goals are the same. So what's the two-state solution? Also, how, how is the two-state solution going to satisfy the Palestinian people? A two-state solution is not going to get the Palestinians their land back. If the, if the point of view of the Palestinians is these Israelis had no right to come in when the UN established the state of Israel and they took our land and we want it back, then there, there's no two-state solution that's ever going to accomplish that. Also, how are you going to have a two-state solution when you got two parts of your country separated by another country, the Gaza and the West Bank? It's just... Pie in the sky, it's ridiculous. I have a great deal of sympathy for the Israelis. I have a great deal of sympathy 
for the Palestinians, actually. The group I don't have uh, sympathy for are these, these liberal utopians who just keep making these stupid uh, uh, inclinations, the, these stupid um, little uh, platitudes about how, we're, how here's how we have peace in the Middle East, by giving each side nothing that they actually want and just putting off an inevitable conflict again. It's just so childish. It's unbelievable. And I, these are supposed to be the adults in the room. When Trump got elected, we heard, well, oh, this, he's going to bring another war in the Middle East. Oh, no, Trump, he's going to bring on World War III. And what happened? We got the period of greatest peace in the Middle East in my lifetime. We got the Abraham Accords. We got the Saudis sitting down with the Israelis. Who thought that was going to happen? It, it was working pretty well. And, but now we're back to business as usual. And business as usual is going to be more and more war in the Middle East. All the while they tell you, this is the this is the only path to peace. Give me a break. Now, speaking of Joe Biden, some good news. Joe Biden has the lowest January approval rating of any president in an election year ever recorded. This is according to a CNN poll. Biden's popularity is 38%. That is five points below where Trump was in January of 2020. And remember, we're told that Trump lost the 2020 election, remember? So, so by how much more will Joe Biden lose the 2024 election? Right? Right? Mm, maybe not. Biden's popularity is nine points worse than Obama's at the same point in his tenure. So this should make us feel really good. And to some degree, it does. Here's the problem. I was in Los Angeles last week. I was doing a lot of episodes of the PragerU book club, which will be coming out soon. And I was doing another PragerU five-minute video. I have a, another five-minute video that just came out this week on President Chester Allen Arthur, one of our nation's most underrated presidents. Then I went up to Santa Barbara. I did the Whatever podcast. You can catch my three-hour debate with uh, some feminists. It was three to one feminists versus me on the Whatever show. And that was three hours. And then there was a six-hour dating podcast. So you, you can have a week's worth of, of viewing. But while I was up there, I had lunch with my friend, Alan Estrin. And he, he runs PragerU and he made a brilliant point. The brilliant point was, Republicans are very concerned with getting votes. So we say, okay, this policy proposal, this alliance is going to help us with this community and we're going to win over here. And this is how we're going to perform better among the working class in this state and blah, blah, blah. Democrats are not concerned with getting votes. The Democrats' priority is getting ballots. So when the Democrats are pushing for their election shenanigans, it's always to destroy voter ID. It's always to increase voter registration, even potentially of non-citizens. It's always to uh, permit ballot harvesting. It's always to place ballot drop-off boxes, often illegally far away from the county clerks. It's always to have widespread mail-ins for longer periods of time with this, that, and the other thing. The Republicans are concerned with votes. The Democrats are concerned with ballots. Guess which wins elections? Now, you might say, okay, well, this time they're not going to have COVID as an excuse. Sure, but a lot of the, the COVID quote-unquote, COVID measures that they put into place to rig the election last time, a lot of them are still in place. Have we done anything to fix that? Mark Zuckerberg invested a ton of money into liberal organizations that, that practically took over mail-in voting, practically took over a lot of the elections in 2020, in some, in some cases in violation of the law. Have we fixed that? I, no. 
So I feel good about this poll. I'm glad to hear that, that Biden's doing much, much worse than Trump was the year that Biden supposedly beat Trump. But is it, is it really all about the popularity polls or is it more about ballots? Yeah, I'm, I'm pleased to see that the GOP is doing a lot more this time around for get out the vote efforts. TPUSA Action has, has been working very hard. Charlie Kirk's been working very hard to uh, increase turnout among conservatives. But we still have that fundamental distinction that Alan pointed out very, very wisely. Votes and ballots. What are we going to do to get those ballots? Or, or more to the point, to keep the Democrats from having control over them. Now, speaking of Trump, a lot of people are scratching their heads over a Trump truth social post that came out yesterday. And it was a, it was a picture, half the screen is Elvis Presley and half the screen is Donald Trump. And uh, the tweet, it says, uh, lots of people have said that uh, I look a lot like Elvis. For so many years, many people have been saying that. What do you think? People are scratching. What? What is he even talking about? This is, beyond policy, this is my favorite part of Trump's political style because this kind of a post is funny, it's weird, and it's totally disarming. The, the libs have to respond to it. It drives them crazy. And they have to call him an idiot and they have to call him distracted. But the, the thing that the libs are most upset about when it comes to these sorts of posts, and Trump makes them all the time, is that it, it makes it much harder for them to portray Trump as Hitler. This levity, this, this kind of bizarre little show, it makes it very hard. Hitler doesn't make a post like that. Hitler never does the picture where it's half Hitler, half Elvis, or half, I don't know. I don't know who the singer would be in those days. Half, um, I, actually don't, I actually don't know who it would be, the Mills Brothers or something, probably not. Uh, that doesn't happen, right? Trump has this bit of levity. And it, this is something that a lot of the critics that Trump has driven mad don't really understand, is that they see Trump as being this totally narcissistic, self-serious guy. He's not self-serious at all. And even below that level of braggadocio, you know, he puts his name in gold letters on buildings and he talks about how great he is. Below that, Trump seems to me to demonstrate more humility than most politicians. I was reminded of this when the Brett Kavanaugh hearing was going on. And remember Justice Kavanaugh he was asked about a party he went to in high school when he was 16 or something. They said, did you drink beer in high school, Justice Kavanaugh? And he said, oh, I like beer. Yeah, I drink beer. And they asked President Trump about this. And he gave what I felt was the perfect answer. I can honestly say I never had a beer in my life, okay? Right. It's one of my only good traits. I don't drink. <laughs> Whenever they're looking for something good, I say, I never had a glass of alcohol. I've never had alcohol. I've just, you know, for whatever reason. Can you imagine if I had what a mess I'd be? Would I be the, I'd be the world's worst? <laughs> it's a great line. And you hear a lot of those kind of lines from Trump, right? Which, I'm the greatest, I'm the smartest, only I can save the country. But then you get this bit, he goes, look, I can say I'm probably the only person who can say I've never had beer in my life. It's the only good thing you can say about me. It's my only good trait. Could you imagine if I had beer? I'd be the worst. I'd be, could you imagine, right? That's, an example of humility. 
It's self-effacing. A lot of the braggadocio is just the... New Yorkers are, are better able to spot this kind of thing from Trump. I remember in 2016 when Trump came onto the scene really as a prominent candidate and everyone in the conservative movement hated him. Drew Clavin and I were two of the only people who said, oh, I don't know, he's kind of kind of he's kind of funny. I kind of like him. No coincidence, I think, that Drew and I both grew up in New York and this is how New Yorkers talk. And it's it's just, it's fun. I like it. it the Weird Elvis post, it reveals the man to be human. That, that post was not written by political consultants, okay? He was probably just batting it around one day, even, even if it were written by political consultants. It, it's, it's funny. It's weird. It's, it's, just, it's not the kind of thing that any other politician posts. It makes you think this guy's human. We know he writes his own tweets back when he was on Twitter. We know he writes a lot of this, all caps, the misspellings, talking about Mika Brzezinski's face. And you, you might say, well, that's not disciplined. It's not focused on the message. Yeah, whatever. At least I know I'm talking to a human being. And that goes a long way in politics. And whether you love the guy or whether you hate the guy, a lot of career politicians have tried to ape that style in recent years unsuccessfully. That is a, that is a kind of political talent that you pretty much cannot learn. So I'm just trying to give you a little window into Trump's political skill. And when you want a window into your home, you've got to check out Renewal by Anderson. Right now, text Knowles to 200-300. If your house is feeling a little chilly right now, you might need to consider window replacements. For most homeowners, window replacement is not something they've ever done before, and it may be a bit of a daunting task. Luckily, there's a company that will do the work for you. Renewal by Anderson is your one-stop shop for window design, manufacture, and installation. Windows play a crucial role in regulating indoor temperatures. If you notice a spike in your heating or cooling bills, it may be due to inefficient windows. Don't put it off any longer. Renewal by Anderson offers limited, fully transferable, and best-in-the-nation warranty coverage. I have had a carpenter unsolicited write to me, say, Michael, I heard you mention Renewal by Anderson. When I go to homes with Renewal by Anderson, it's the best work that I ever see. I have a cousin who's worked for this company for years and has always spoken incredibly highly of it. Renewal by Anderson right now is offering a free in-home consultation on quality, energy-efficient, affordable windows or patio doors with special financing options. Text Knowles. Canada WLES to 200-300 for a free consultation to save 375 bucks off every window, 775 bucks off every door. Savings won't last long. Be sure to check it out. Text Knowles, Canada WLES to 200-300. That is Knowles to 200-300. Texting privacy policy in terms and conditions posted to textplan.us. Texting enrolls for recurring automated text marketing messages. Message data rates may apply. Reply stop to opt out. Go to windowappointmentnow.com for full offer details. My favorite comment yesterday is from Gary Lancaster, 8612, who says, I don't blame that young woman. Oh, this is the woman who who was complaining about having to work 40 hours a week and she didn't have money for rent. She didn't have time to do anything. I don't blame that young woman for being upset. She's been promised all sorts, but now is working full-time and her post-rent income is less than 400 bucks a month. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I, I, I know a number of conservatives just made fun of her and said, you know, quit, quit your bellyache and snowflake. You know, I, used, I would have to walk uphill both ways in the snow to go to work for 400 hours a week and whatever, you know, but I, I have a great deal of sympathy for her, actually, even a degree of empathy. Yeah, she was promised a bunch of lies and she was told to order her life in a certain way that's unnatural and contrary to her happiness. And the political economy has has also been arranged in such a way that is contrary to the happiness of a lot of people. And I think it's fair to recognize that that's wrong. If we, if we recognize, if we conservatives recognize that something about the political status quo is not quite right, then we should be gratified when young people are recognizing the same thing that we're recognizing. 
that, right, they're on our side. You're right, we should change something about the way the political economy is structured. Now, speaking of the presidential race, Nikki Haley is in a little bit of hot water because uh, Nikki's campaign posted a couple of pictures, reportedly, of, of, of notes that she has received, letters of encouragement she's received. So one of them supposedly from Mary A. And you can see the picture. It's on lined notebook, ruled and lined notebook paper, like you would have had in fifth grade or something years ago. I don't even know if kids still use notebooks. They probably just use tablets and computers. And, and it's, it's written in a font. This was obviously typed, but it's su- supposed to be handwritten, I guess. And it says, I want to encourage Nikki Haley to keep pressing on, three exclamation marks, all curiously, exactly identical because it's clearly a font. We need a competent and committed leader to stay the course in the bid for the presidency. I'm an independent and I voted for the best candidate every election cycle. And this year, it's Nikki. Then another identical exclamation point. Mary A. Then the next the next note that the Haley campaign posted is even more embarrassing. It's, it's in an email box. And it says to Nikki Haley, <laughs> subject blank. <laughs> and then it says, please do not give up the fight. All caps. In a world that's become crazy with strife, we need a level-headed conservative leader to navigate us through the insanity. No one is more capable than you are to right the ship and heal this great nation. We need you, Nikki. This country needs you. Our allies and the beautiful people of this world need you. I don't want to see you give up. And I guarantee you there are millions more out there who feel exactly as I do. Michael B. And then... <laughs> Then you get to the bottom and you see the send button. So you realize this is not an email that one has received. It's an email that one has composed. And obviously, the two Nikki Haley, you know, there'd probably be an email address in there. And this was just written by some campaign flag for Nikki. And it's really not only embarrassing, but it's really, really transparent. Now they're trying to do damage control and they're, they're posting pictures and screenshots that that at least look somewhat more legitimate, but really sad. I've said from the beginning, Nikki Haley is a very skilled politician. Look, she's made it to the last person in the race other than Donald Trump. And she was successful as the governor of South Carolina. And then she was pretty centrist there, more from the liberal side of the Republican Party. And then she ends up working as Trump's UN ambassador. She's very important. Uh, popular in that role, including among the conservative side of the party. Then she leaves and Trump said nice things about her. And then she turned on Trump. Then she embraced Trump again. Then she turned on him. And she's very skilled at it. She, it's, it takes a very good politician to be able to do all of that. Her campaign is not very skilled, <laughs> I'm afraid. And I, I don't even know that this is entirely their fault or her fault. Nikki Haley is going to have a, an increasingly difficult time attracting good campaign talent because there is no path for her to win the presidency. Even a lightning bolt from a Democrat or from the sky against Donald Trump still would not give her the nomination because the RNC would probably just give it to someone else who's more from the Trump side of the party, not from the Nikki Haley side of the party. She's made herself, by running in the only lane that was available to her, she's made herself the candidate of a minority of Republicans. So even, even, you know, Trump, God forbid, falling out of this race, uh, it wouldn't give her the nomination. Now, I I still think there's a good argument for her to continue to run. It puts her, it makes her the leader of the liberal or establishment wing of the party, which is something. Makes her essentially George H.W. Bush in 1980. 
It uh, gives her, I don't know, it'll raise her speaking fees. It'll get her a bigger book advance. It will give her some more influence in politics. It'll probably get her on the board of more companies. And so there's plenty of reason for her to stay in. She's still got money. And as a wise political friend told me, the only reason that presidential campaigns ever end is because they ran out of money. And she's still got money. She got that Coke Network money. So she'll stay in for a while. But there's not much reason for campaign workers to support her bid, other other than to just get a quick buck. But you don't work on a political campaign to make money because there's actually not that much money in it. Some of the TV consultants can make some money, but really the reason that you work hard on a presidential campaign is so that you can get an appointment once the person becomes president or vice president or cabinet secretary, and that's just not going to happen here. So expect more, more errors from the Haley campaign. It's just kind of in the cards. Okay, speaking of women, J.K. Rowling, the author of Harry Potter, has been accused of transphobia, and a teacher just gave a masterclass in how to handle that kind of accusation. This from one of his students. We're going to treat this as a thought experiment. I'm not going to say yeah. what's right or wrong or what way to think. The whole point is to learn how to think, not what to think. Yeah. yeah. So when you say bigot, you, you're, you're starting with the conclusion that given her bigoted opinions. Yeah, so first her, uh, let's start with, does she have bigoted opinions? So when you, when you say bigoted opinions. She has had a history of being extremely transphobic, I've heard. Hey, you've heard. So what? can you give me an example? In 2019, she said... Dress however you please, call yourself whatever you like, sleep with any consenting adult who will have you um, live your best life in peace and security, but force women out of their jobs for starting that, for stating that sex is real. So you find that bigoted? <laughs> what do you find about it? Was, in there? It was deemed transphobic. Like, I myself. Do you find that transphobic yourself? Uh, I don't really have an opinion on it, but I'm just going with what a lot of other people have said. So let's pause it. Let's not go with what other people are saying. Let's try and learn how to critically think. So let's analyze the tweet ourselves. So that statement, do you see anything problematic disregarding other people's opinions? Is that transphobic to you? So to me, no. Like you said at the beginning of this conversation, you said, given the fact that J.K. Rowling is transphobic, how do you feel about Harry Potter? Now, yeah. retroactively looking at that statement, do you think that that was the best way to phrase? No, I feel like an idiot now. <laughs> beautiful, beautifully done. The whole video is much longer. It's four, four and a half minutes. Worth taking a look. It's very simple what he does, though. What this teacher does is what all of us should do when we're speaking to people who are just totally programmed by the liberal establishment. And that's to ask, why do you think that? Well, look, everybody knows that. Oh, I don't know. I'm, maybe I'm a dumb. Maybe I'm a little bit stupid. Why, why do you think that? Well, uh, hmm. Because she said this. Right. Do you think that? No, I guess you're right. But it was deemed, yeah, forget about what other people say. What do you think? What do you think? Why? Why do you think that? Why do you think that? Why do you think that? I don't mean to sound condescending to our liberal friends, they could be otherwise intelligent people, but the vast majority of them have no idea why they think what they think they think. And in part, the reason for that is they are not required to analyze their own views in a culture that is totally dominated by their fellow travelers. Conservatives have to examine every single one of our views. This is why the conservatives who go to liberal colleges tend to 
have read a little bit more, tend to have thought a little bit more about their views, because they have to, because the ideological bullets are flying every single day. Liberals don't have to do that at all. And the, the views that they think that they hold are extremely immature and childish. And so when you're, <laughs> when you're in a culture that has been degraded to the level of two-year-olds, then you need to speak like a two-year-old. What does a two-year-old say? Why, 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 why this, why that, why this? That's, you got to meet people where they are if you ever want to persuade them of anything. This, this has been my debate style for quite some time now. Some debate styles are all about just totally pummeling the opponent into the ground. That's fun. There's a, there's a time for that. But most of the debates I have, if they're at all in good faith, I try to just persuade people and if you're going to persuade people, you got to kind of meet them where they are. And if you're going to meet people in this culture where they are, you got to talk like a two-year-old. That's a great question. Why do you think that? Why? Yeah, but why? Yeah, but why? And you get down to first principles, and then we figure out if those first principles are persuasive or not. Most of the time, they will not be. The rest of the show continues now. You do not want to miss it. Become a member. Use code Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S, at checkout for two months free on all annual plans. Bye.